This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are going to be reviewing Star Trek Discovery episode 408, All In, because Discovery is back after a break, finally. But we're going to cover the news first, and we're going to start with some sad news today. So, a cinema legend, Douglas Trumbull, passed away this week. He worked on Star Trek The Motion Picture uh, as a visual effects artist, but he, you know, he, where he was nominated for an Academy Award, but he, he worked, you know, name kind of a big sci-fi movie of the seventies or eighties, like Blade Runner. Close Encounters. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, where he was really breaking new ground on all of these movies and he was brought in late to Star Trek, the motion picture and really turned it around. Cause as most, a lot of people know, there was a kind of a troubled production, especially in the visual effects. And he even directed some of the sequences. Um, he worked a lot on the Enterprise. So when he passed away, a lot of, you know, big Trekkies and professional and fans, you know, had a lot of outpouring for him. People like Mike Akuda, Mark Altman, Darren Doctorman, people who work on Picard, you know, were all just talking about how important he was and how they're standing on his shoulders. So, And now they're naming a ship after him. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. cool. So and I thought that was great. Terry Metalis, who is the showrunner on Picard, showed an image of some kind of screen and it said USS Trumbull and it had the uh, registration there. It's from season three, which they're currently shooting. And Dave Blass, who's the production designer, who also had some nice things to say, said, you know, that Mike Kuda suggested it and they put it in. So that's nice. Yeah, it's nice. We have a really good interview that Brian did with him a couple of years in 2019, a couple of years ago, um, that talks in, in detail about a lot of the work that he did on the motion picture. And we're going to be seeing a lot of that work again soon with Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, which we, Brian confirmed, they were able to go back to get some of the work Trumbull did originally back in 1978-79 and to remaster that for the new version of the um, director's edition. Cool. Which we still don't know when that's coming, but it's coming to Paramount Plus this year and hopefully Blu-ray after that. All right. Well, next up, uh, we have a little bit of Michelle Yeoh news, only in terms of how it impacts. So, you know, we've been talking about the Section 31 show and that they're saying it's finally sort of moving towards, moving out of development maybe soon and into production at some point. But we all read that Michelle Yeoh is now going to be starring in a new Disney Plus series. So, but that goes into production in later this month. So I don't think it actually rules out anything. Yeah. Uh, some people may say, well, but what, you know, how could she do this series and the Section 31 show? Yes, the executives were talking about how there should be news on Section 31 soon. But that doesn't mean they're going to actually start shooting soon because they just announced they've bought enough Star Trek episodes of their current five shows to last them through to the end of next year and beyond. Um, so I think that they will announce a Section 31 show sometime fairly soon, but they're not going to start shooting it anytime soon because they don't need to, right? They've, right. Got, they've got plenty of Star Trek. Maybe by the end of this year, maybe next year, because um, you know, this thing would probably come after they're either done with Picard or they're done with Discovery, right? Right, right. No, that would make sense. And also, I mean, because she's doing so much work these days, um, 
they also, I'm sure, are anxious just to get it official so they can map out her schedule well in advance because she's getting booked. She's not looking for work these days. It's all coming to her. Which is amazing because you know, how many actresses in their 50s are this uh, yeah. in demand? I know. It's so great. It's so cool. So our adopted show, The Orville, has some good news, bad news this week. <laughs> It's like the good news is it looks really cool. The bad news is you're not going to see it when you thought you were. <laughs> so it's supposed to come out in mid-March and Hulu announced they're moving it to June 2nd. There was It's kind of a convoluted statement from Seth MacFarlane that mentioned COVID, but mentioned how it was really a scheduling. It sounds like it's more to do with internal Hulu scheduling and Maybe where they want it to show up against their other shows. I don't know. Yeah. But they they, announced, they revealed the opening teaser for the first episode of season three, which is called New Horizons, which it also includes a brand new title sequence and a new theme for the show. And it's like this crazy, the, the, the teaser is a crazy sci-fi action battle with the Kalon. It's probably a dream sequence because like lots of people are dying and you know the ship's getting blown <laughs> apart and And it has a <laughs> a great ending, which we won't say what it is, but <laughs> Yeah. Regardless, it's very exciting, very big sci-fi action. They're definitely because we heard before this season, you know, from people like Brandon Braga, David Goodman, that they, this is, you know, they're really amping it up and they're going bigger this season. And I think that's the message of this. I mean, it's interesting that we're getting, we got this clip, but we still haven't gotten a trailer. Usually it's yeah. the other way around you get, uh, but so we, we, but we did get our first taste of the show and it's looking good. It will just have to wait until June. And it occurred to me in June it was just announced that the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is coming at the end of May. Oh, oh God. So. Wow. So in June, you'll be able to watch in a given week, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Obi-Wan Kenobi, or I think they're just calling it Kenobi, and the Orville. And who knows what else. But, you know, so this summer is going to be great for fans of genre stuff. Yeah. Wow. I never would have imagined such a thing, really. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It sounds so stupid to say, but I think it's true. I think there are a lot of us who are just like, who could ever think that you'd have all this high profile, big budget stuff too. The only other thing I want to say about the Orville is that I don't always notice this, but I thought the music, even just on that clip, was really good. Like it stood out to me. Well, we know it's a very important thing for Seth, the music. Right. He's got the biggest orchestra in Hollywood. And yeah, it sounds great. So last week, you talked to the showrunner for Star Trek Prodigy, Aaron Wilkie. You guys had an email interview. And it, the thing I love about, first of all, everybody should go to the site and read it because it's, it's great. It's long. It's detailed. And I feel like it was two people who both, and, and I think you reflect so many of us, who love all the details, the nerdy details about the thought that goes into these shows. And when you have a showrunner who had the benefit of knowing that they had all these episodes ahead of them and could map out everything so carefully, and then someone like you who can ask in detail about all of these pieces, you end up getting a great, happy, nerdy interview. Waltke is definitely 
part of the insider club, you know, the people, uh, you know, I, I consider Terry Metalis and Mike McMahon and you don't have to be one of these super nerd, super fans, but it's it great sure that helps. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys remember last podcast, sorry, we only have two people this week, by the way, but uh, the four of us had all of these questions, even though we liked the episodes, we're like, well, how does this work? And how does that work? And what is it? And so what's interesting like i didn't even mention the word com badge in my questions <laughs> but he brought up com badges 15 times in his answers um so yeah they're aware they know what how their com badges match stuff from the shows and i mean he goes into incredible t- it's obvious i talked to him later he's like he he kind of admitted yes i've wanted to talk about this for 2 years and it was like he was just couldn't wait to talk about this so he just just started typing you know and uh so yeah basically you know because a lot of people were asking about uniforms and he talked about how in star trek there is a lot of precedent for multiple uniforms in the same era um, and multiple com badges and then he kind of you know showed his work right he's like here's where they did it before bang 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 you know so right that was good last week i kept on going on about the timeline how i was giving my brain a pretzel he's saying that's fine it should <laughs> but he did kind of lay out ba- the, the basics of it right yeah. sort of kind, kind of. of you know th- there's a few things that i think now make more sense so he talks about how the diviner so you know chicote goes out then Chakotay gets into a time anomaly. Then Dreadnought and the Diviner board the ship and they infect the ship because the Diviner traveled back in time and he had this big plan. And th- here's how he words. He says, however, this plan went awry. The Protostar was <laughs> lost in the past. That was the thing that I couldn't figure out. It's like the Diviner had the ship, but then he didn't have the ship. So this is something. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, you know, so that was it's not not part of the plan, but that was that's built into the show. That's kind of why it it doesn't make sense, but it will when they right because they separated at some point the diviner and the ship. And why did they separate? Why yeah. didn't he just go back on the protostar? He did sort of indicate that it isn't actually the protostar that made first contact with Solom, the uh, diviner's home world. Here's how he worded it. I think it's safe to conclude that the Federation's exploration efforts in the Delta Quadrant are nearing Solom and will attempt to make first contact soon, but the Protostar came to them later. So the Protostar isn't the first contact ship. Right. Uh, even though the Diviner is essentially obsessed with it. So, you know, there's a lot more in the interview, you know, but it answers a lot of the questions you might have about the mid-season finale. And he said, look at a show like DS9. We are putting, if you think about season one of DS9, did plant little seeds of what was coming. And he said, we're doing the same thing. Some of these things may not pay off for a long time. Some will probably pay off sooner, but they, they have a plan. They've, they've worked out, you know, they've got, they've got a 40 episode order and they are, definitely you know planning it meticulously and that's a luxury that a lot of shows don't have and he mentioned another animated series he'd done where they had the same luxury and it's it makes such a huge difference because you know a lot of these shows they don't know if they're going to have more than 12 episodes 
<laughs> sometimes, you know? Right. So it's uh, the amount of planning they're able to do. And you can see it in the first 10 episodes of the show, how much stuff already has paid off and threads that have been running through. So read the whole thing. Yeah. If you want, it's long, but it's worth it. If you want the detail, there was some other interviews that uh, were out there with the creator. The Hagemans, right? Yeah. Um, they're mo they were mostly the showrunners during the first season. And Aaron is kind of at least co show running the show now as they go into the second season. And they are almost as nerdy as he is, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but the interesting thing that, came through all of their interviews was they talked about Admiral Janeway as the adversary for the second half of season one. Yeah. Like comparing it to Tommy Lee Jones and the fugitive. Right. So, so she's not a bad guy, but she's on the hunt for the protostar. And we know we don't want her to ever catch the protostar because if she does, then the they secret can't keep it. Yeah. And the secret, <laughs> the secret weapon will, you know, yeah. so, so she's saying, you know, we we didn't, you know, so you like Tommy Lee Jones in, in The Fugitive, right? But you also like Harrison Ford, right? So they're right. both kind of good guys, but one is hunting the other. And, and the stakes are very high. Yeah. But it also sounds there, you know, the, 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 the reason he's saying Janeway is stepping into this role because, is because the Diviner is stepping back. So we, I think the Diviner will come back, but... It sounds like we're not going to get a lot of Diviner in the next 10 episodes. Yeah, I think he's going to be out for a little while. I mean, yeah. he's still in play. For sure. And they talked about how Janeway is obsessed with Chicotay. <laughs> She'll make a lot of people very happy. <laughs> Describing Chicote as the main motivation for Admiral Janeway, which you saw at the end. She's like, I'm yep. coming for you or whatever she said. So yeah. She said, I'm coming, Chicote." <laughs> it's getting hot in here that's what she said <laughs> i'm just reporting the facts <laughs> fair enough i think that's it for prodigy i'm sure we'll learn more in the coming months but uh, we still don't have a release date on the second half of season one but probably october november let's hope all right well before we go into our discovery review there's some fun stuff to talk about so out magazine interviewed a whole bunch of the stars of Star Trek Discovery and created a cover, a collectible cover for each one. So they talked to um, Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz together, uh, Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander together, Mary Wiseman, Tignataro, and Emily Coots. Um, um, and uh, uh, Michelle Paradise, who's also a showrunner. I think she sprinkled throughout the interviews. Like She, she is. She didn't get like a big, they all got insane photo shoots, which you have to go <laughs> see because they're so over the top outrageous with, I mean, actually I'd say Anthony Raps are almost more like kind of dapper, but fun. But some of them are, anyway, just go, just go look. <laughs> they're fun. You know, they talk a lot about what we've heard before on the show, which is how important they take representation on discovery and certainly the show has gone well out of its way to represent all sorts of lgbtq people both behind the camera and in front of the camera characters and actors yep in fact something we didn't know is that emily coots who plays detmer said that it was a script of discovery season two that helped her decide to come out. 
Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that because I think there's so many people who talk about how Star Trek changed their lives. And obviously working on a Star Trek show changes your life. But to have this as well, to have it reach her that way, I just thought, you know, that was pretty powerful stuff. A couple of actual plot, if you could call them that, or character dotes I took from the interviews. One is it kind of sounds like we're not going to see a lot of gray for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got that. Because it was really, he is officially training to become a guardian. Right. But still part of the show, but, you know, not around a lot. And Tig sort of indicated that we're going to get a little more backstory on Reno and Reno's wife, who died during the war with the Klingons. Add a little more depth to that character instead of just being a wisecrack. You know, there is, we did get a little bit of that. Remember last season, there was that moment with with Tig and... um, Culber? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that'll be nice. Anything else on that? No, I think that's that. Are we ready to talk about the episode? All in. I'm all in on all in. You're all <laughs> in. <laughs> well, it's been a while since we've had some discovery. What did you? What are your top level notes on this one? Mostly good. I think it was fun. Really, um, it was a bit of a diversion, which I liked in a way. You know, where they were doing some things different. It was focused. There wasn't, you know, an A, B, and a C, and a D story. So they didn't try to give everyone something to do. And, uh, you know, it didn't always work. But I, uh, you know, it was kind of a quiet episode in a weird way. But there was just a lot of fun dialogue and little character beats. And we got to learn a little bit more about a couple characters, notably Owo and Vance even, and he's my guy, so I love a little Vance, and we got <laughs> some good Vance in this episode, and he's been gone for a little while. He's so that's... been missed. Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, I mean, I liked it, didn't love it, you know, because of a couple things didn't exactly work. Um, really liked the alien character, Haas. Yeah, um, me too. And hope we'll see more of him. Um, so that, you know, that's my, you know, we'll get into the details, but that's my kind of front line. You know, we, we probably won't remember this episode a lot, maybe the character, but you know, this isn't, you know, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah. I found it uneven. I would say like there were parts of it that I felt were great, like lots of fun. And then there were parts of it that I just kept it going. Like I sort of just go, uh, like, I just wish they'd made a different choice. Or something doesn't quite work or something doesn't gel or it doesn't make sense. So, which is, you know, a lot of times when I watch the show, I guess I experienced that. But there was some good stuff sprinkled in. And yeah, I did. I Like, to me, my MVP was Relic. I thought she was great in this one. She's showing that she's a good leader. And, you know, we get some nice confrontation with her advance and her and Michael. So, but not too much so that they're, you know, enemies per se. But she was rightfully pissed. Yeah. No, and she said all the right, I like the way she spoke to them. I just, I really liked a lot of what she had to say and that she was still willing to listen also. Like, I was like, oh, that's a good, I like her as a leader. They sort of won her over through their trickery and their loophole usage. Well, and by coming clean about it. Right. They didn't hide what they did because she, because Michael stuck, she didn't defy orders. She just, uh, you know. Did some stuff in addition to her orders. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, in a way it was Vance ordered her 
So she was following orders, actually. The whole thing yes. following yes. orders. So Vance ordered her to do the extra stuff. So I and guess then Saru like checked with her to make sure that she'd been ordered to do the extra <laughs> stuff, which I liked. I thought that was good. Just that he would, I mean, just that he's smart enough to know, like, you better check because who knows what this one's up to. <laughs> yeah. As I've been saying all season, Michael is a born again Starfleet by the book gal. These yeah. Days. Yeah. Yeah, she may play at the edges, but not nearly as much as we've seen other Star Trek captains. So, and not nearly as much as she used to, because now that she's captain, I think she takes it more seriously in a way. And uh, yeah, so she. Plays- I think she wouldn't have gone to to find Book if Vance hadn't told her to. That's an interesting question. You'd think maybe I don't know. I think she would have tried to get someone to get him, but I think she would have known she couldn't. Or she would have talked Vance into it. but Or uh, she would have talked Vance into it. <laughs> Vance, you know, didn't bother. You know, she didn't have to talk him into it because he showed up and said, okay, now let me tell you how I really feel. So, Well, he was taking it personally because he handpicked Tarka and created a situation where he had free reign. And it was his authorization that Tarka used to steal the prototype. It shows how bad things were before uh michael saved the galaxy right because they you know <laughs> b- you know b- during the burn they were cutting corners they were letting someone like tarka have a free reign um when he's clearly uh, a megalomaniac lunatic like clearly needs to be overseen like not taking away he might he's a genius he's got great ideas but clearly somebody needs to be in charge of this man and <laughs> That's the problem for me is that, yeah, when she said that he didn't put anyone in charge of him, it's like, well, you should be yelling at him, President, because that is crazy. I wonder if that's the extent of it. I I think it is, but it might be interesting if there's more to the Vance-Tarka story because Vance really was, seemed shaken by this whole thing. Yes. Yeah. He keeps talking about him, right? And saying, and because he's... He's so upset that he didn't see it coming. And he's tra- he goes, it's not ego. He's trying to figure out what it is. And he doesn't know what it is. He keeps he says, what am I missing? Yeah. And we've never seen him. The, same, the episode starts with him yelling at people, which is unlike him. Yep. Yeah. This has definitely rattled his cage in a big way. So hopefully we'll see the two of them together and get some more info on how that's working out. Maybe it's his secret brother. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other side of this for Vance is he and the president think they're headed towards war. And if they're headed towards war, he's got to send his family away. And it's kind of like after all the hard work they've done to bring back the Federation, now they're going to go back to it being even worse than it was before. Right. Although I was wondering where he thought he was going to send his family to. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I mean, the Federation, if they start a war. No, but even the DMA was just appearing anywhere. Like it's, a, you know, we know what it is now, but it could just appear anywhere and cause damage. So it didn't seem like there was any particularly safe spot. Well, except that the president said, you know, that Tarka and Book could basically piss off 10C and start a war. So, yeah, Tensi may be randomly doing these things now, but if you blow up the DMA, they may stop being random and may start targeting things. And what would they target first? Yeah. 
uh, Federation HQ. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. Just like Tark, <laughs> what, what, did, what did what did Tarka say once? This is difficult for me to say, or something like that. Oh, it was it was my one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. He said, "Pardon me if I mispronounce this, but you were right." <laughs> Yeah. I mean, at least he's self-aware that he's a megalomaniac. Yes. Right? Yes. He's very self-aware. <laughs> a little bit like the character he was in DS9. He was a terraformer. He reminds me of that character. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But he was much more fun. Right. Like, Tarka is an interesting character to watch. I keep being surprised that people let him get away. Like, everybody lets him get away with everything. But I thought that his conversations with book were interesting because he kept talking about how they would get recognized or congratulated or whatever and book has already resigned himself to going to jail right basically book Book is through the looking glass he knows what they've done you know they've broken the law you know michael confronted him with it as much as possible tarka does seem a bit delusional he's like yeah we'll we'll be fine yeah like it'll be political and then we'll get celebrated and it'll be and it's like book isn't even thinking in those terms he's thinking solely because this goes back to soon as quay john was destroyed he got depressed and then the the way he came out of that was i'm gonna make sure that never happens again no matter what and so he's singularly focused he's willing to throw anything away including his in this episode if it wasn't clear at the end of the last episode he made it very clear in this episode he's willing to throw away his relationship with michael because Michael is, is again, the true believer in Starfleet. Michael made it clear, they're going to use me to go after you, and I'm going to do it, you know? so Right. They drew the lines very, very clearly. You know, she thought she could pull him back from the brink. Well, so here's what was frustrating to me about, the most frustrating thing to me about this episode, was that she, at the beginning, talked about how she thought she could make Book see the danger that he was putting them in, the fact that he could start a war. And then... All she ever discusses with him is how he could, how he's crossing a line and he won't be able to come back in terms of his relationship with the Federation. And she only talks about that. Now we know that he's already ruled that out to him. That's a dead end anyway. And so the only way she could even try to get through to him in a way that would work would be to say, you could start a war that causes more destruction, you know, and she doesn't say any of those things. She doesn't say you're with someone who clearly has other motivations. She doesn't say anything else except the only thing that won't have an effect. And I found that very frustrating. She didn't really have an argument to stop him, except no, please, please don't do it. And they could have, I understand they didn't want her to have a successful argument, but she could have started and been interrupted because of all the action. Like there are a hundred ways they could have shown that she tried to say something other than, you know, they'll still welcome you back. There's still a chance. Like that wasn't going to do it. He shut that down immediately. Like he kind of said to her, don't you know who I am by now? Like, you know, the first time you met me, I was freeing these transforms. He's a kind of a rogue guy, you know, and yeah. he, that this is in character for him. Yes. He was always, as we've been saying, a little bit of a weird fit on the ship as the captain's boyfriend slash consultant. Yeah. So it is curious how this, where this goes, because in a yeah. way he's right. He's now kind of back where he should be in a weird way. 
Um, and so, but is it really over between them? Well, and we know he's wrong because we know that he's acting from a place of grief and not a place of logic. Fair enough. But where do you think, I mean, how do you think this all ends? It's really, you know, does he go to jail? Does he get killed? Do they somehow reconcile? I think she'll pull him back at a vital moment. And he'll be the one who has to make some decision about whether something happens or not. And Tuck is going to be all suddenly menacing. And that's what I think. Yeah, I think there's going to be a point where Tarka is about to do something that's too much. That will clearly kill people or endanger the Federation. And Book is going to stop him. And that'll be his redemption, essentially. Yeah. Although I'm not sure if it'll be all forgiven redemption, but it'll at least be a character redemption. Yes. So I, I want to just talk about the bar, right? I, I mean, I really <laughs> loved that it's such a, you know, a sci-fi trope to go to a seedy alien bar. Yeah. Obviously. Shady characters and gambling and stuff going on and some colorful guy running the place, which there certainly was. I mean, Star Trek has done this before. Going back to the original series, Star Wars has obviously perfected the art of this. Yeah. <laughs> and is continuing to do that in the book of Boba Fett. And I thought this was a fa- fairly good outing. I think it was better than uh, they did it at Picard when they uh, visited yes. the casino planet. I think this was even better than when they went to the Orion compound on, on the Klingon homeworld, which was sort of a whole... Yeah, you know, I I think this was a pretty good. There were some tropes. I I hate the like why everything has to glow in the future, so the ropes and the (laughs) uh, you know the boxing ring have to glow and the trays have to glow. (laughs) It's the future. It's glowing. Right, everything lights up in the future. But there were certain things they avoided, which makes sense for Discovery. But it takes you a moment to notice what they're not doing, which is there aren't scantily clad you know, space prostitutes like you got on Enterprise and you still get in Star Wars. So, yeah, that is, I mean, and also if you think about it, if you go all the way back to first season Discovery, they had when Giorgio is, you know, at the end being all sexed up, it's like there's a man and a woman. Right. So there's both, which I say, yeah, you have to do both or neither. And frankly, neither is actually great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean the fact that there was a big boxing ring in the middle of this place just like that didn't make any sense um but I, no i think the production design was good it would have been nice to see more aliens we saw a few recognizable aliens but um there was like too many humans in this bar you know but that's that's definitely nitpicking i think the costumes were good yeah i thought everybody looked pretty good there was nice variety and definitely haas was a great character uh, I love the cigarette girl. <laughs> well, she was, as you pointed out, the April Ludgate girl. <laughs> right. Everyone's a winner. No, she was great. Uh, she was gave me a laugh, a good, a good smirk. I mean, there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of humor in this episode. Um, there was a lot of great lines. I mean, Haas was full of weird <laughs> sayings and weird. and analogies and expressions <laughs> like a like a lot of alien sayings that you have no idea what he's talking about right um and but that i think adds to the i mean we are out on the frontier they made it clear like we are outside the federation we are way out there 
And so, yeah, like things shouldn't make sense. Well, because I like that. And I also I noticed that Michael used the expression emperor's new clothes. And I was thinking, like, who else would know what that expression means? Like on an alien world, would everybody know what that expression means? And so I thought it was that it worked well with him just saying all these things. So maybe everybody out there is saying things that other people don't understand. I have a feeling that was something to do with the style of the the poker wasn't exactly poker even though there no. was so i think emperor's new clothes and a wardrobe were actually types of hands you can win in that game like you can have an emperor's new clothes that's your hand like oh. a, a straight or a flush or a wardrobe interesting um, so because it wasn't normal poker but it was close it for was sure. Yeah, well, it was just you can't tell what's happening by looking at it poker. <laughs> by the way, the, the the I know we're jumping around, but when they're playing poker and Book and Michael agree to work together to beat the Emerald Chain holdouts, oddly neither of them was an Andorian or an Orion. I don't understand because I thought that was who was in charge of the Emerald Chain. They were both right. kind of just skeezy looking humans, but they decide to, they don't want those guys to get the evil weapon. So they work together, but that was like the most obvious cheating. I was was like, how could they be sitting there playing with these people competing in this high stakes game who weren't a hundred percent noticing every single thing that they were doing? Yeah. They were tapping on the table and saying things and doing weird, like they were so unsubtle. Yeah, I and thought honestly, they were going to get if, called out. Like, If anyone got... was even talking as much as Michael was talking in that game, someone would growl at you to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was fun. I mean, what, what they're trying to show right? is how <laughs> great these two are. and They still have chemistry. They still love each other in a way. And uh, they sh- really should stop all this bickering over isolinium. Well, they actually did do a really good job, I think, of showing that how connected these two are, even when they're on opposite sides, because they are foes in this, in where we are now. And yet they were able to still team up, to still have conversations and to still back each other up. They're still tied together. One of the curious things about this bar, it was the the Tarka storyline included him trying to find cheaters and he and book found a changeling yes and trapped it and tra- and at first i thought well there's so many changelings in star trek no but it was a changeling it definitely was supposed to be founder when they finally trapped it yeah and it's like cool wow the founder like maybe we're gonna find out like you know what's going on with the dominion what's going on I, with the founders and they're I like i feel like we're not yeah no it's like they <laughs> they give us just a little bit just a little bit but no yeah you know, there's so much world building that's still unclear <laughs> in the the galaxy as a whole. Like we had that galactic summit a few episodes back and there really weren't that many familiar faces, including the Klingons, as we've been saying, like we're right. the Klingons. Right. Um, but actually I'm going to mention a race that so I'm moving out of the bar now. I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm going into theory land now. Okay. Um, so if you listen closely at the end, they learned something about 
was it at the end or the beginning? I forget. But no, it's, event, it's at the very, very end, I think. Where they mentioned Boronite. Yes. And so Voyager fans should recognize that because Boronite is what the Borg used to create Omega Particles. And that... Omega like, Molecule. That's sorry. a big deal. Because that is like there's a whole episode about the Omega Molecule. And it's kind of, you know, the super scary thing. And, I mean, it could just be a coincidence. It could be a red herring. But that was the first time I thought maybe 10C are the Borg. Maybe they are going to bring them into this show. It's a possibility. It's possible. Because it maybe, like, you know, after 700 years... Because I've said, like, the Borg either have taken over the galaxy or they left, right? Because they, they've had a lot of time to assimilate the galaxy. So right. it'd be kind of lame if they're still running around the Delta Quadrant, you know, did a, trying to assimilate this species and that species. So maybe at some point, for whatever reason, they just they gave up the whole assimilating thing and they just decided to move out of the galaxy to this other system. And uh, but they're using the galaxy as a power source, which is kind right. of, you know, it you know, fits with how they are. They don't care about the galaxy. Right. They're like, we need some Boronite. We're just going to go scoop some Boronite up. And maybe they're trying to, you know, that they're, they're more focused on making Omega particles or That's omega molecules. That's what I was thinking. Like it could almost be anyone making omega particles. If it's not the Borg, it could be someone, and maybe right. someone's someone. I, you know, possibly someone's figured it out. Like it's no longer dangerous. Like they, right. they've kind of nailed it. Uh, they've had a few hundred years. I mean, that thing they described is two hundred twenty. Two hundred twenty-eight million kilometers, which is huge. It would encompass planets you know it's yeah it's, they said like a star and a couple of orbiting bodies now you would get a ton of energy just from in the star because if you could that's all point of a dyson sphere is if you surround a star you get all the solar energy um but apparently that's not enough they need even more for this field they've created so right I mean, it almost, it's so funny because I had to watch, I watched that, I had to, I watched that episode of Voyager recently um, to keep up with the Delta Flyers. And I kept thinking of Prodigy actually in the Protostar. Hmm. Um, but now it's, now it's more Discovery. So interesting. I think what they're doing here with the DMA, because obviously they've talked about uncertainty being the theme of the season, which is a metaphor for the pandemic. And of course, even though it was nice to have a little brief moment with Stamets um, and Hugh, where Hugh is berating his Roomba. Um, <laughs> the uh, is, you know, once again, they have to say uncertainty. It's like, stop saying uncertainty. I know. So this is, this is my biggest issue with the episode two, which is that they, too many times, they say exactly what they're thinking. And they don't... They, they don't find clever ways to say the same thing in maybe a more clouded, interesting way. And I know that's sort of part of the tone of the show. Like it's a deliberate choice, but it's that exact kind of thing. That's like, don't say uncertainty, just act uncertain. But we're, we're now seeing another theme, which they've touched on a couple times in the season, which is this environmental message of, dilithium is oil right and they need to stop using dilithium the burn was a great example of why they need to stop using dilithium and now the dma itself is this strip mining thing essentially galactic right. strip mining so i think they're trying to 
you know, with those things start build a more environmental message um, where, you know, essentially uh, the, the 10 C could be almost like the Malon in Voyager. We just watched that episode together. Yep. Whereas, you know, they're just these kind of jerks. It's not their intention to hurt people, but they are causing massive environmental damage for their own selfish needs. Right. And they could either not care or they could be unaware, depending on their morality and level of intelligence. That's an interesting question of how could they not know? Because before we were saying maybe they're kind of like the the whale probe people where they kind of we always assumed they didn't understand what they were doing. They're just trying to talk there, you know, and, you know, the fact that they were boiling the oceans accidentally, you know, they just for, for whatever reason they didn't understand. Um but how could they not know that as they're scooping up this boronite, they are wiping out planets with people on it? I mean, can they be that stupid? Do they maybe they just don't know? Could they be? Yeah, I don't know. They just don't doesn't... know or they don't see that it's there's an advanced form of life. I don't know. The... I mean, it would be pretty far fetched, but I think it's possible. You know, maybe. The people who are creating the energy aren't telling the rest of their society how they're doing it. Right. There you go. You know, this gets back to, remember last season, they said that the the whole Sukal thing came out of that Ursula K. Le Guin story about Olamas, right? The whole premise of that was there was this lovely village, but one person had to constantly suffer. And, you know, the morality of that. Right. This almost feels more on the nose for that, you know, maybe there's the society and they're all living in this wonderful little bubble outside the galaxy, but the price they're paying morally is the DMA. And maybe this, that society has decided that's fine. Right. Like the cloud minders. (laughs) Right. So, but if that's the case, then, you know, the first contact is not going to go well because people, they're going to show up and say, could do you mind stop doing that? And they're going to yeah. say, well, you know, we kind of like doing it, you know? Yeah. We like and, our power. We like having way more power than you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're not going to switch to windmills. Who do you think we are? You know? So uh, <laughs> hopefully it goes the other way. We're like, hey, did, did you know what you were doing to the rest of the galaxy? Because it kind of sucks. And they'll be like, oh, we're sorry. We'll switch to windmills. Right. uh, Everything will be fine. And they'll all join hands and have a sing-along. Exactly. But that (laughs) won't be good enough for Tarka, who will want to blow them all up and kill them all. Um, And then, and that's when Book steps in. Right. Because Tarka doesn't really care about any of this. He just wants the power source. Right. So that he he could go to another universe. And either undo something or meet somebody or something. He's got guilt about something. I'm trying to figure out, did we or did we not learn anything about his motivation? Because there was that great scene with Owo and Tarka where she with, sets oh, us out. Oh, wow, Owo. Oh, wow, Owo. <laughs> I thought that was great, actually. <laughs> she figured out that he lost something or someone and he got kind of angry when she kind of nailed him. But did we did we already kind of know that already from the last episode? Mm, we knew that he well he said why he, he wanted the power and that he wanted to go. But he didn't talk about personal loss. I guess. It moved the ball down the field a tiny bit. Yeah, like we're st- half an inch. 
we still don't really get what's going on with him and his friend in the other universe. And is, is the other, is the friend from the other universe? Is the friend currently in the other universe? Is the friend dead? Is it really his friend? What's the real story? Is that friend Brent Spiner playing yet another <laughs> scientist? I feel like you've suggested this before. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we're, you know, we're now past it with Spiner where he needs to be in every show playing every scientist as a member of Soong. It's like, screw it. Now, you know, now that there's four of them, just don't stop. Just constant Spiners. <laughs> It'll be a festival of Soongs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that conversation with the two of them, I, I liked, I, I loved OO in this episode. I thought she was really good, even though I thought I just, the fighting had, was not even remotely interesting to me. I just wrote down in my notes, fighty, fighty, punch, punch. Cause I just don't care about fight scenes like that, but I thought she was great. And I loved her conversation with Tarka because she was the only person who was really asking the right question, which is why, what yeah. are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I think everybody should be asking why Tarka is doing it. So with Owa, was she hustling from the beginning? Did she lose the first two on purpose or not? What do you think? I think maybe she did. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. I get, it's This is one of the, I mean, in a way, I'm glad because I like questions where we don't know. You know, yes. where there wasn't yeah. an obvious where she's like, wink, wink. I really got this in the bag. I've been faking it the whole time. You kind of sort of felt like she was losing it. I kind of feel like she might have dug down deep and, you know, got her Starfleet motivation going and, you know, and believed in herself. And that was how she won that, the day in the end. That seems more in keeping with uh, Discovery's tone and message. By the way, just this is a side note. So. They made it clear that they're outside of the Federation. They've oh, got yeah. no badge, no weapon, whatever. They, they can't even jump into the system. They had to jump close and then warp the rest of the way. And it, they walk in with these bright Starfleet uniforms. It's like, why? No, and after arriving in a Starfleet shuttle. Yeah. Like they flew in on a Starfleet shuttle and wore their Starfleet uniform. So I don't know what kind of a difference it would have made to have had the discovery there or not. And I feel like they, it was weird. It felt like they only did it so that they could have that scene in the shuttle on the way there. I guess, but, but you didn't have to be in the uniforms. I mean, my, obviously they've got yeah. plenty of Sinequa, uh civilian clothes. Um, yes. They got to cooked up something easily for Owo. I'm trying to figure out if there was a reason for it or not. Like maybe they were flying the flag because it seemed to be working against them. Well, it was specifically that they said the Federation isn't welcome and then showed up in bold Federation colors. So, I mean, Starfleet colors, but it it was weird to say it and then not like maybe something got cut that explained why they were doing. I don't know. It did seem like a contradictory choice. Also, you know, getting back to Paul, who has a, a nice little B story with Hugh and they go walking in the flowers, which is nice, is there's a this more reconciliation with Zora. So no, no bad feelings with Zora because Paul was Mister. I don't like Zora in the last episode. It was so long ago, we forget. But that was just the last episode, right? He kind of mentioned that Zora did some busy work for him, showing that she's cool with it all. So I thought that was a nice little touch, actually. 
Well, because, I mean, he made up to, at the end. He was the one who sort of came up with a way for it all to work anyway. But yeah, that was that was a nice touch. And then I'm very torn on the whole, like, go for a walk in the flowers. I mean, it was I thought it was sweet. Like, the end of that scene was sweet. I thought their quarters were frighteningly bright and looked very uncomfortable to be in, just with these blinding lights coming in through the windows. But anyway, it was just weird. But... I can't tell if it's like, I I think there's a good message, which is that you have to take time for yourself. And certainly if you live on a ship, you should use the holodeck and make it feel like you're out in a field. But sometimes their answers for everybody's trauma are too easy. Like take a day off or take a walk outside. And it's, uh, I'm torn on whether I think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm I'm just glad that this was, they didn't harp on this story. Like there was a few episode, a few weeks ago where they kept on cutting back to book and Hugh and he's building the sand sculpture. It just it was like too much. <laughs> and so I think they were just like one and done on this one pretty much. And it was fine. I think they're just saying they're, they're moving on. They're growing as characters. They're right. learning lessons. Um, he's going to stop hassling his Roomba and everything will be fine. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not the Roomba, but the, what are they called again? The um... dot. I think it's a dot. But I liked that. I like calling it a Roomba, and I, I, I also liked when it came back out as soon as he left. <laughs> it really wants to clean, and it, it is actually the weird thing is it is also Zora, right? Because or at least Zora yes. must be aware of the dots because yes. Zora has manifested herself as dots. Yes. Um. So they're kind of extensions of her, which may be why. Paul feels a little guilty too, right? Because he he definitely has some Zora guilt. Definitely. Yeah, but he was fine with the thing cleaning. He wanted the thing to do all the cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) So do I, by the way. (laughs) Do you have, uh, is there anything else? I've got a few lines I liked. Sure. As I said, I really liked the character Haas and he was just wall to wall with these great lines. My favorite, which I still can't figure out though, is I've missed you like a Cardassian Mrs. Cake. (laughs) <laughs> right so either he didn't miss her at all he says it to michael right right so canon has never established the cardassian cake <laughs> connection i actually looked a little bit and found nothing <laughs> <laughs> i didn't need to look to know that you know so possibly cardassians just love cake and he really missed her because i think he did miss her he he, he had some yeah, he seems to her. really like her yeah so I think they're establishing this episode that Cardassians love cake. It's canon, folks. <laughs> exactly. They like a little cake. With the canar, they got like a nice piece of cake. Cake and canar. Yeah. I like it. What was your favorite Haas line or line of the episode? Oh, his. I feel like I want to wait because, you know, uh, just we watch the screeners and so there's no captions and there were so many things that I think I missed that I just was like, I want to wait and make a list or something. Cause they were so good, but I just couldn't, I couldn't tell what he was saying sometimes. I mean, sometimes I, like he says, uh, you two were strutting around like Klingons in a disco. Yeah. I saw uh, that one. <laughs> or he said something like act like an armist, swim the Parathian ocean with weighted boots. Yeah, it's like an arm. Like, is Armus now a species? Right. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that was definitely a weird one. But, you know, there were other fun. Book had some good lines. You know, we sat down with the Orion, or not the Orion, but the uh, Emerald Chain once, and he goes, "How are you folks doing? Things going well in the intimidation industry?" And yeah, that was a good line. 
<laughs> so this is, I mean, the, it's good for the, for discovery to have a little fun, you know, and it makes this world feel more lived in um, and real and grounded in a way, because people do kind of talk like this more than they talk about mentioning uh, uncertainty over and over again. You know, this is when the show gets real. Right. Well, I also, I liked real like at the very beginning when she says she's yelling at Vance and Burnham and she says, did you have any idea this was coming? And they both say no. And then she goes, okay, then how did you have no idea it was coming? Like, <laughs> right. I was like, you go, you are right, man. You should be yelling at them. <laughs> you know, I think that that's why in the end it was entertaining. You know, I didn't like this thing and I didn't like that thing. Yeah. But I was entertained by the episode, which is all that matters. It got me excited again for Discovery. I'm thinking about 10C again. I wasn't doing that a week ago. The wheels are turning. Thinking about the Borg. Not sure. I think it's I think that's a red herring, but at least it's interesting. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I'm back in the game. As yeah, I was I'm happy it's back. Like I've missed it and I'm happy to be watching it again. And I certainly enjoyed some of the some of the moments, but I do like when everybody has more to do. I'm fine with just give people a week off, you know, Saru had a great moment. Does, you know, and that's, that was enough. We're going to get some good Saru coming forward. I know. So, you know, you don't need to pile it on. Um, and it gave Owo an opportunity. Although I will say Owo was being a jerk and kind of got rewarded for that. Yeah. Right, for being the squeaky I mean, wheel. Yeah, uh, I don't think she was being a jerk, but she definitely was pushing at the wrong time for the wrong thing. And, But I think all that Michael was trying to do was say, like, I get it. I don't think she was rewarding her. Like, here's her. I think she was just saying, like, I want you to know I understand where you are coming from. I think Detmer's back there on the bridge going, wait a minute. I wasn't the one <laughs> yelling at the right. first, you know, I was following orders and. You know, and I'm still stuck here on the ship. I don't get to go to the cool bar. So I yeah. was the good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode. Yep. I think so, too. So let's wrap things up. What have you got for your bits? Well, I've just got one and it's a tiny one. But last Sunday's New York Times crossword had a clue. And the clue was the better of two sci-fi franchises, which is kind of, you know, a gutsy thing for them to do, except they got really clever. And if you type, if you wrote in either Star Trek or Star Wars, the puzzle still worked in either case. So fun. It's crazy. I often do the New York Times crossword, but I didn't happen to do it on Sunday. And Sunday's the tough one. That's probably why I didn't happen to do it. <laughs> They're all tough, but Sunday's the toughest one. Yeah, during the week, it's easier for sure. There's some easy ones during the week. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Okay, we'll put up a link to that. So for mine, since we were talking a little while ago about Doug Jones is getting honored, he's getting sort of a Lifetime Achievement Award type of award from the Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild later this month. So this isn't new, but I just want to remind people to watch it. It's this great, looks like a three-minute piece that's just hosted by him, and it's about his work in the movies and on Star Trek a little, just as creatures. And it's, it'll just give you a sense of the scope of his career and how hard he's worked. And, and you'll really understand why he's getting this award if you haven't seen all the things that he's been in. It's a lot of fun. And he's just so uh, utterly charming and lovable the whole time. Who put it together? 
It's a piece called The Most Famous Actor You've Never Seen. And the site that put it up is a great big story. Well, there's a link in the show notes and that's out on YouTube. That's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek, episode 78. Woo! All right. Well, we'll be back next week with another one. Please leave comments on the site. Let us know what you think. And that's it. Have a good week. Thanks for listening.